Coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. Some people are moderationists. Some people are good at making, they want to make small changes. They want to like make baby steps and slowly progress towards a, a goal or a change. Some people are on the flip side, extremists. They want to go all in, all or none. So I think knowing what you are is like the first step um, and working within that. So like for me, I'm an extremist for sure. And I don't do good with, do well with moderation. So I, I, every dietary approach I tried, I just jumped in and like <laughs> went cold Turkey. Right. Um, I did that with low carb. I did that with fasting. I did that with paleo and that worked really well for me. But if you're the type of person that wants to slowly make changes, um, I completely support that. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed author, entrepreneur, and podcast host, Melanie Avalon. We discussed what she learned from trying every different eating style, her favorite biohacks for longevity, the importance of drinking organic wine, along with why you should prioritize protein, the health benefits of deuterium depleted water, and her one tip to get your body back to what it once was. I really enjoyed my interview with Melanie. I hope you will too. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin, and I have a special guest, Melanie Avalon. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's nice to have you on. Melanie's been very helpful for myself. She's an experienced podcaster. She's <clears throat> co-host of one podcast and has the biohacking podcast as her, her other one. Um, <clears throat> yeah, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm excited to have you on. You've, you, we have a lot to talk about today, um, but maybe before we get into that. Why don't you tell the audience maybe a little bit about your background? And I know you have quite a health story as well. Sure. So I first, like a lot of people came to the whole health world, diet world, ultimately biohacking world for two reasons that I feel like a lot of people <laughs> go through. Um, what the first one was trying all these crazy diets and wanting to lose weight and then actually finding the diets that worked for me and then realizing that diet wasn't just about weight loss, that it had all of these other effects beyond that health-wise. And then the biohacking entrance came from my own health issues, trying to find answers and just crazily searching all the rabbit holes and tangents on the internet and starting to find things that not only helped me with my own health struggles, but just helped me revitalize my entire life and experience of the world. And so I, I've been doing all of these, a lot of these weird quote biohacking things before there was really the concept of biohacking. Like I, the first thing I probably did was wearing blue light blocking glasses. And that was, I mean, like a decade ago, maybe like nobody was wearing them <laughs> then. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the really long story short. And what, I guess, you know, we always talk about with diet, it's, it is a, a bit of a, it's a, it can be a long road for some people, um, and sort of a self-experimentation and finding what works. What, what did you learn about diet and yourself and just, you know, finding ways to, you know, optimize your health? Yeah. So the, um, the thing I did that made me have the epiphany about diet being more than just weight loss was when I first started a low carb diet. And before you think like, I'm going to say the low carb diet is the answer. Um, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think that, um, I, but I did, I tried a low carb diet and the thing I was so fascinated about it, this also was way before it was, well, not way before the low carb diet was popular, but I feel like people weren't like keto is all the thing right now. And everybody knows about keto and measuring ketones and mm -hmm. nobody was really talking about it when I was doing it. Um, and I was so fascinated by the concept of looking at ketones in your urine and I, because it seemed like a scientific way to measure fat burning. Mm -hmm. So that's when I got really obsessed with the science of diet. But interestingly, I, um, so I did keto for probably, I don't know, maybe like four or five years. And I fell into the trap that I think a lot of people fall into, which is 
finding a diet that really works for you at that time. And then thinking that like, that's the answer and that's what you have to do for the rest of your life. So, and I experienced this a lot. You mentioned I'm the co-host of another show. I have the, the intermittent fasting podcast, and we get so many questions about people that are just like terrified, like they've gone low carb or keto and they're terrified of carbs and they're terrified of trying anything else because, you know, keto has worked for them up until that point. Mm -hmm. And some people, maybe keto will work for life, but, um, some people maybe change works. So for me, like now I eat super high carb, um, low Mm. fat. (laughs) So, uh, the consistency has been high protein. Um, but the point is, I think different diets work for different people at different times. And there's not one right diet for everyone. Totally true. And you, 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 on your blog, melanieavalon.com, you talk about paleo and intermittent fasting. How, how have you weaved those into your life? Yeah. So the paleo part of it, it's funny. I was doing, well, I guess I should start with, okay. I was doing low carb. Then I started doing intermittent fasting. I did it because I read this blog post online called, it was like called eat one meal a day to lose weight or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and it had like 300 comments on it. This was before people were really intense with, well, yeah, not before the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This was before social media was like it was today. Um, so I decided to do the one meal a day thing for a week Oh, and I was going to say for like years, but one, mm-hmm. one, okay. Gave no, it a week. I was like, I'm going to try this for a week. I was All already right. low carb. So I was already fat adapted. Right. That I would do it for a week. And it was so profound, like so many beneficial effects were brought into my life that I never stopped. Okay. And that was 2010 or 11. Um, And then the paleo aspect was I, so I was doing low carb. I was doing one meal a day, intermittent fasting. I was like, I'm doing all the things. Um, There's what else do I need to do? But I I was still eating like processed, like keto and like artificial, artificial sweeteners and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I read Rob Wolf's, the paleo solution. Um, You've had Rob on the show, right? I have had Rob. Mm-hmm. I love Rob. <laughs> so he's my hero. Um, I read the paleo solution and I was like, I guess I'll try this whole paleo thing. Um, and then I, again, I kind of like when I first went low carb, I realized, oh, there are so many effects from what I'm eating that I didn't even realize. Like my skin cleared up even more. My energy got better. I just felt better. Um, so my approach to paleo was basically like meat fruits or not fruit at that time. It would have just been like meat and vegetables basically, but I cut out all of the, um, the processed stuff that I've been having and it was, it was amazing. So I still exist within a paradigm of whole foods. I like to do low fat or low carb. I don't like to combine them. Um, but yes. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways, like you mentioned that individuals can eat and obviously a lot of people are doing getting into low carb and keto. And I will say for myself, I enjoy low carb. I think I, I think mentally, I just feel better throughout the day. Um, as far as like one meal a day, okay. On some days I go one meal a day. Some days I feel like I want to just eat more than one meal. And so I'll have two meals, but it's like our buddy, Brad Kearns, I think, uh, you know, talks about two meals a day, I think it's a good rhythm to get into for like majority of people. You know, I don't, I don't think everyone's maybe built for one meal a day, especially if you're trying to build muscle, but, um, but two meals is, is I think a good rhythm personally to get in, uh, for most people, um, with really minimal snacking, um, and just eating whole foods. Right. I I agree so much. I agree is that yeah. One meal a day. Everybody does not, is not cut out for that. And when I say one meal a day, I, I don't do like one hour. It's, it's like five or six hours. Oh, so it's you like give a yourself, luscious, right. You give yourself mm-hmm. a nice time to, to, to eat that meal. I feast every night. Oh, yeah. For a very long time. Um, but yeah, I think two meals a day works really well for a lot of people. And again, it's just finding what works for you. But I do think a lot of most people could benefit from that. So, so do you, um, like when you're doing two meals about how many hours does it end up being in that I mean, window? Yeah. 
so I typically, what the routine I'm in right now is I will go fasted throughout the day and work out perhaps around one o'clock ish. And then, you know, probably break my fast after that. So I say I probably on average break my fast around two o'clock. And then that window's open for about probably four and a half hours. So two to six 30, let's just say. So I have one meal at two, two 30 ish, and then another meal at five 30. Um, I, you know, we, we like to eat early and be done. I don't like to eat too late, close to bedtime. And so that's when I typically do my two meals. So you're actually probably eating <laughs> in a smaller eating window than I am with my one meal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, when you say high carb, are you just, when you, and I'm, I'm assuming you also prioritize protein you mentioned. Um, so are you doing like a lot of vegetables and some type of meat, fish, chicken mix? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the consistency through my, all my dietary fluctuations since having these epiphanies is the high protein aspect. And I do really well with lean animal protein. Um, so I've always had like I mean, when I say pounds, I mean, eight pounds of meat every day. How many uh, pounds? How many pounds of meat a day? How many? Um, so I'm in a scallop phase right now and I probably eat like two pounds of scallops every night, plus like a half pound or more of fish or chicken. Wow. eat more than I do. <laughs> yeah, it's and a lot. If, if you're watching on YouTube, Melanie is very trim. (laughs) (laughs) There's a, there's some magic to, um, yeah. And I haven't always been this lean. There's a lot of magic to, I think like you don't have to count calories if you control for lack of a better word, like what you're eating, the macros. Mm -hmm. And so like with the carb aspect, um, I eat also pounds of fruit. So it's, it's, it's a lot of like meat and fruit. Okay. And are you eating fruit? Um, are you eating fruit on its own or are you eating it with meals? Um, I, so <laughs> I'm just so crazy. Cause I have the same pattern and people always want to know it. It's funny. People always want to know. They're like, tell me what you're eating. Like, show me meals, like show me pictures. I'm like, you don't want to know. Like, it's very weird and it's very boring and crazy. Like you don't want to do what you're I'm eating do. like pounds of berries. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, um, I normally start, it's like the same routine every night. I start with my wine, have some cucumbers to munch on. Then I have my big meal of meat and scallops and all the things. And then my dessert is I eat pounds of berries. Oh, as your dessert. Mm-hmm. What time are you done eating at typically? Late. You sound like a late eater. <laughs> are you a late eater? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I eat until I go to bed. Oh, like That then- doesn't bother you. Mm, I sleep so much better. Hmm. I actually, I, this is so interesting. So I recently did a really, really long blog post and it was in actually the, the biohackers update magazine. Um, I wanted to actually look at the, the research on early versus late night eating. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would walk away being convinced that I should be an early eater. Um, because in my dream world, I'm an early eater, even though I'm not. But when I really, really looked at the studies and everything, I actually, and I, I can go into more detail if, if you want, but um, my, my like, ob- as objective as I can be takeaway without trying to have any preconceived notions, it seems like an eating window of like four to like four to six ish. So like late afternoon to before the sun goes down seems to be when hormonally, we are primed to eat. That is not what I eat, Mm -hmm. but that was my takeaway. Like breakfast hormonally doesn't really match up from my interpretation of the studies. (laughs) Yeah. Even though they conclude the opposite (laughs) in the conclusions. Oh, wait. So you're saying they said that uh, ideally you should eat before sundown, correct? So, so a lot of these studies, yeah, we'll be looking at hormonal, like hormones, throughout the day. So cortisol, right. insulin, epinephrine, and it's, it's really interesting because the conclusion will usually be that we should eat breakfast and be eating early, but looking at the hormones, it makes the most sense to me 
with the data in those studies that it would be later. Cause like when you wake up, you have a cortisol spike, right. um, which is, I, sh- I should pull up my notes that I have with all the, all the different hormones, but that's to release energy. So it's not like we wake up and our body is looking for energy. Like we wake up and hormonally our body gives us energy from ourselves. So I don't know why we'd be eating right then. Um, and then other hormones, like, uh, our hunger hormones and our satiety hormones are actually like, it's that window. I said, like our hunger hormones are going up then. So it's like a good time to eat. And then also we're good with insulin sensitivity and our satiety hormones. It just all lines up. Well, um, so it's interesting how then the conclusions that are drawn. And I think that's a lot of that is historical and cultural breakfast industries. <laughs> Involved. Oh, yeah. Well, if you think about what a typical breakfast is, I mean, it's almost like a dessert, right? That's where a lot of the refined carbs and sugars come into play. Uh, and so if you could like even just eliminating that, I mean, if you want to get up and have your, you know, some berries and stuff, I think, I think there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's just it's when you get into the muffins and the croissants and um the donuts. <laughs> That's where you can get into trouble. Do you know um, why, how Kellogg's, why Kellogg's cereal was started? I feel like someone told me it, but I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. This will, this will, this is not going to, okay. It's something to do with Mr. Kellogg wanting to treat, uh, was it like obsessive? sexuality problems. And so he thought that this cereal would reduce sexual desires. And like, I think I saw someone post about it, uh, about Mr. Kellogg. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, I'm sure. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. If well, here we are. We, we, <laughs> um, okay. Well, what let's let's shift topics a little bit. Uh, let's talk about biohacks. Um, this is something that you have the Melody Avalon Biohacking Podcast. A lot of great guests. Definitely want to check that out. What are some of the best biohacks that you can sort of that you've learned just from either your podcast or from yourself? Yeah. So, um, well, I, and I guess to define biohacking, so. Cause I, I'm always curious to hear what people think biohacking is because it's kind of a nebulous word and people include different things in the definition. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd really be curious to hear what you consider biohacking. Yeah. That's the Don't first time me. I've been asked that. No. So <laughs> I would say, I would say biohacking is a way my definition would be is, oh, is a non-traditional way to, to optimize your health. Hmm. So non-traditional way to optimize your health. So something that's maybe a little bit out of the box, right? That's what I think of for some people it might be in the box, but for most people they're like, why? Like, I'll give you an example. Like I think a great biohack for just like having a better mood and more energy is like cold exposure. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a cold plunger, which, uh, is in my house. So, uh, it is the ultimate, just pick me up and I think it's, you know, if people don't want have to get a cold plunger, they could do cold showers. So that would be my example of a biohack. Okay. That's a, okay. That's a good example because so I consider biohacking, um, to be like technology and supplements and tools and tips and tricks and things that we not, we would not normally be able to engage with to engage in without modern technology mm. that is to optimize our health and performance and ironically often reverts us back to the way things were. So, so like with the cold example, I would consider biohacking a cold plunge because like in real life, you don't have a, you don't normally have this tub in your house of cold freezing water. Right. I would consider cryotherapy biohacking, but I wouldn't consider like going outside in the winter biohacking makes sense, but, but some people would. So that's, that's why I find it interesting. The definition. Um, yeah. And is, I know you love to do cryotherapy. Is that one of your favorite biohacks? I know. I think you do it every yes, day. Do you do every, every day. day? 
Mm-hmm. It's an expensive habit. Unless I can't. <laughs> um, well, where I go, like, so for people who are interested in cryotherapy, you can sometimes find places that have pretty good. Good, like therapy. monthly. Yeah. 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 So um, actually I'll tell people, cause I, I go, depending on where you live, I go to restore and it's a chain and I, and oh, yeah. I don't Yeah. So they have, and they have an amazing, they often have an amazing join special where you get everything for like really cheap. So you can try it for a month at least. Mm. Um, but where, where, Melanie, where are you located? I'm in Atlanta, Atlanta. Okay. That's right. right. You told me that. Yeah. You're Northeast. Yeah. I'm in uh, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, cryotherapy. Okay. And to find that for listeners, that's where you're, you, um, go in a cold chamber of cold air negative negative two 220 two, uh, somewhere yeah. around there and and the reason you can go into that um into that arena <laughs> whatever you want to call it's like a like your head is exposed right and you, you have not blood. in the one i go in i i go in one that's completely oh compl- okay because the one i've ones i've done is your your head sticks out and you put on gloves and and um do you put on gloves and socks Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. This, they have that type and then they have one where you're completely immersed and the complete immersion one that there's like a window that you can have down if you want, but I like it up. <laughs> and what are the main reasons you do it every day? Oh my goodness. So many, <laughs> um, I had Wim Hof on the show, which was amazing. And yeah. he's for people interested in cold and the benefits, <laughs> check out his book. Um, so there's, there's so many benefits. Um, the immune system really, really benefits from the, the cold stress. It basically activates all of our stress genes, uh, to help supercharge our, our cells and, uh, boost our immunity, help our energy, uh, help our mitochondria. There's some really good studies on mood. And I, I really experienced that. So when I walk, I, I go in and then when I walk out, I just feel so, so good. Um, mm-hmm. cause it releases endorphins and dopamine and serotonin. And it's amazing. Um, really good effects on blood sugar. So oftentimes I'll wear a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor. And I always see that prior, to, like once I go in and do my session and I come out, my blood sugar drops and stays low for the rest of the day. Um, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. That's interesting that you say that. Cause I have a CGM I'm, I'm using right now, which, um, and I do hot therapy, some hot sauna, and then I do cold. Um, and I got to start, uh, tracking that a little bit more and seeing how it affects me. Um, but yeah, there's been there, I know there's still, there's still a lot of, um, studies out there that, you know, there's still more research to, to fully understand all these benefits but I'm, I'm with you. I think improved mood, even athletic recovery, um, is great. I mean, I used to have some hip issues and just going in the cold exposure. I do it probably every other day. Um, it's great for that as well. Um, what other biohacks do you like? Um, <clears throat> so I mentioned the blue light blocking glasses. So been doing those for so, so long. Mm-hmm. Um, that in combination with, I love red light therapy. So I love it for, um, when you say, well, when you say, I'm sorry, when you say red light therapy, um, maybe explain that. So, sure. yeah. so red and I'm looking at my device, red <laughs> and near infrared light therapy. Okay. Um, so it is types wavelengths of light that have health benefits. So the red light is the visible spectrum. So it literally looks red. So my apartment every night is just like this whole red, um, vibe mm-hmm. the near, near infrared is actually invisible. You can't see it. Um, but exposing it to your body. So it has both of them have these benefits, um, but anti-inflammatory benefits. So it's really great for muscle recovery. It actually helps your cells, mitochondria generate energy. So that's a reason that it can seemingly help so many things because it's just helping your cells function better. It's um, great for skin. I love the mood going back to like the light and the mood benefits. I we're exposed to so much blue light today, which is not natural and can be, um, create insomnia and stress and headaches and things like that. So I like to combat it with bringing red light into my life, which is 
more of the type of light that would be in the rising and setting sun. Mm-hmm. So I find I actually usually have a red light device on 24 seven. I don't have it on right now. Cause it's a little bit, there's a fan in it, but, um, it, I, 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 I love it. Um, can't see my life without it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've done some infrared saunas and <clears throat> that's another way. The, the nice thing about the infrared sauna is you're not like in a steam shop sauna, right? Like you can sit in there for 45 minutes and just get a good sweat. And we all know how important it is to sweat. It's, you know, it's our biggest organ, our skin and to, for detoxification. Um, a lot of people do it when they think they might have some like heavy, heavy metal toxic toxicity. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you can now buy sort of like, like you said, you can buy almost like these shields, right? And you don't need a whole sauna per se. Right. Well, so I should clarify. So, um, sauna is actually different. It's far infrared. Okay. So everything I was talking about was near infrared and red light. Although I was just going to say, I I think a lot of these saunas now have all three, or they might have, yeah, yeah, they, but that the part that makes you sweat. So that like the part that's required for the sauna is the far infrared. Um, so like near infrared and red light, it, it doesn't really make you hot or anything like that. Okay. okay. Um, it's more, it's more surface, but the far infrared is, but you're right. The, the saunas often have all three now, All three. Yeah. But, um, the far infrared is the one that actually goes in deeper and heats up, heats you in from the inside out. Um, it, what, what feels so amazing about it. And I'm sure that you've experienced this is it, a lot, so a, a, a normal sauna, a normal sauna, a sauna that's not infrared, a heat sauna, a traditional heat sauna mm-hmm. heats you from the outside in. So it it's, um, you feel really hot. Like it actually, it requires you to get really hot to get the benefits. And you can't Compa- stay in there for that long either. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Compared to far infrared, it's kind of like how you can, so you feel it and you're hot and you sweat, but it's kind of like how you can have a fever and not necessarily feel like super hot. Mm-hmm. It can give you an, a fever, an artificial fever, even though it's a real fever, but artificially induced through the sauna yeah. um, without requiring you to be super uncomfortable. So like I do my sauna session every single night and it feels so good, <laughs> uh, but heavy metal. Yeah. It's amazing for heavy metal detox. Cause I had heavy metal toxicity oh. and there's a lot of studies on um, heavy metal excretion. How did you know sauna. you had heavy metal? toxicity. I, I got tested and hair my, mineral. I'm sorry. Hair mineral test. Um, blood, blood, hair, okay. hair, mineral, hair as well, but blood was okay. the one that was a red flag. So your, your levels are supposed to be, this is a testament to how much fish I eat. Your levels are supposed to be like, I, I'd have to look in like five or 10 or something or less. Too much were, sushi. Mine were 30. Um, too much sushi. Too much. I, I know what it, well, I, I was, okay. I feel very strongly about this. I was historically eating just low mercury fish. So I was eating tilapia, um, bear mundi by a certain brand, uh, shrimp scallops. I didn't understand how important it is. It's hard. Okay. I feel so passionate about this. It's hard because you don't see the mercury in the fish. Like, so it can seem like not a big deal. So I moved to LA and I started trying, I was like, it's not that big of a deal. If I have like a little bit of this higher mercury fish, or if I have like a piece of swordfish. So what I've realized since then, if you have one piece of swordfish, um, if you like, look at the data, if you have one piece of swordfish, that's like a normal amount of mercury for a piece of swordfish, it could be the equivalent of eating 300 pieces of tilapia at, in that one piece. So, the, um, I really encourage people to, to don't, don't be, <laughs> take it seriously. The mercury in fish. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, like you said, it's almost like a silent killer. I mean, killer, but it's a silent toxin that you would never know. Did you start feeling symptoms of anything that would, that you would, you know, that would, you know, I, I literally thought I was dying. Um, and oh, so you it, really felt it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, it's hard to know. Cause this all happened at the same time because I actually had anemia as well that I wasn't aware of. And I ended up in the hospital. So, oh. um, so it was all happening at once, but yeah, the, the mercury toxicity, my, um, my doctor found, like I said, it was 
30, which is like, you really usually only have that if you had an acute exposure. So it's crazy that it was that high. Mm. I will do a PSA though, that I, I did chelation, pharmaceutical chelation, and I got my levels down, but I just want to encourage people if they go that route, I don't know if I would have gone the route that I went, um, with that. So, cause it can, it pulls out your body's own nutrients at the same time. So you're better off maybe doing like, when you say chelation, like a way to obviously pull it out of your body. Good ways would be, you know, infrared sauna. So, yeah. So I have a whole blog post about this that okay. if you have show notes, you can maybe put a link to, but I don't know. So like for me, my levels were so high. I do think I definitely needed pharmaceutical chelation, but I'm such an extremist that I was like, oh, like I have mercury toxicity. Chelation will pull it out. Let me just do as much chelation as possible. And I would have gone slower. I would have taken mm -hmm. weeks off to like quote remineralize. And then I would have focused as well. Like you just said on sauna and other, other avenues. Um, there's a whole world out there. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, I interviewed, um, Dr. Anthony Gustin and uh, I haven't published it yet, but he had, he had, um, mold toxicity mm. and it, it took him like years to like figure it out. And it was in his house. You know, it was just, he lives in Texas, a lot of humidity and yeah. Anyways, he, he has a whole story around that. Um, I had no. that too. <laughs> oh, jeez. The mold. Did you really? You had, the, you had mold too. I, I just sent the hair mineral test in. Um, Barton, uh, Barton Scott, his company Upgraded Formulas, um, they do a hair mineral test. So if people are interested in something like that, it does test for heavy metals. Um, I interviewed him. So that, that is how, uh, yeah, Barton Scott Upgraded Formulas. So, um, anyways, let's move on. Let's talk. <laughs> A lot of ways we can go. Let's talk. I, I deuterium depleted water. Let's talk water a little bit because obviously we're what are we made up of? Like sixty five percent water, uh, and most people probably don't drink enough. Um, what is your thoughts around that? <laughs> as you drink water, <laughs> as I drink some de deuterium depleted water. Yeah, tell um, me about that. I'm curious. Yeah. So, so I am fascinated by this. Um, it's something that I think might be really, really having a profound effect on us and um, nobody's realizing it or not. That's the thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it is something that, um, I, okay, let me backtrack and say what it is. So there are, are there three or four types of hydrogen? So there's normal, normal, there's normal hydrogen, which is protium. So that's the type of hydrogen that we think of when we think of hydrogen, mm -hmm. there's the type of hydrogen found in hydrogen bombs. I don't know what is the name for that. And then there's deuterium. So deuterium is an isotope of hydrogen and it's basically a heavier form of, of hydrogen. Um, it's in our water supply. It's it's everywhere. Um, and it, our, our mitochondria, because water, like you just said, is, I mean, we're like more water than not, right? which is interesting to think about. And, um, super involved in our, I keep mentioning mitochondria, but super involved in our cells and energy production and all of that. And so the theory behind deuterium is that it's actually a heavier form of hydrogen that kind of gunks up the mitochondria to use a really casual terminology to describe it. <laughs> And so the people who think that it's the end all to disease, like that, it's like the cause of everything. They just think that it's the reason that we have disease because basically it's affecting our mitochondria. And what's interesting is there is actually a lot of research on it. It's mostly all in cancer patients, um, and some other issues, but, um, it, there, it, there does seem to be when like a benefit to patients with cancer, when they go on deuterium depletion protocols, um, so you can drink deuterium depleted water and you can change the level of, of deuterium in your body. And I actually took tests. So I took, I tested my own deuterium levels in my body. Then I did like a few weeks of deuterium depleted water and I tested again and they had dropped substantially. So it, again, it's that thing where it's like, I don't know. I actually think it might be super involved in longevity and 
a potential fountain of youth, but it's hard to know. Cause you're not really going to be like feeling it's hard. Yeah. We, you and I were talking about this right before we started recording. It, it's hard to know what's doing what you kind of have to just see. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. I, I agree. And, and with some of this stuff, you know, you might not maybe feel the effects for who knows, like could be years. Um, but you know, I also feel the same way with CGMs a little bit. I, I like having a CGM on me, but when you're eating, I think if you, the, 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 get the greatest benefit of a CGM, you have to like single out foods, eat them, see how they affect your blood glucose. Um, because if you think about most of our meals, at least for myself, I eat them all together and as one, <laughs> and it's like, how do you sort of peel away and see what, which one is a, not that there's necessarily wrong with having a blood glucose spike, right? As long as you come back to a good baseline. Um, so anyways, that was just, um, a thought of mine. For, yeah, you know. no, that's really interesting. And I, so I guess for me, I, like I was talking about earlier, I tend to oscillate between two very different, but like measurable dietary approaches. So I'm doing either low carb or low fat. Mm -hmm. So rather than me seeing this one food affects my blood sugar, I kind of see like, Oh, a low carb night has this effect compared to a low fat night mm -hmm. has this effect or high carb. Is it, can um, you tell it on the CGM? Are you seeing a difference? Um, yes, but I, for the majority of the time that I was experimenting with a CGM, I was mostly doing the higher carb approach. I, I actually want to do it again and do it while I'm doing low carb, but I did, I did see some and, um, yeah, I, I also noticed I, the CGM is actually a reason that I started taking berberine. Mm. Um, and I definitely saw lowered, uh, average blood sugar levels with berberine. Do you take berberine? I don't take berberine and in, in, uh, maybe explain to audience what berberine is and how, how, why you started taking it. Yeah. So I am obsessed with berberine. Um, <laughs> it's, um, do you sell it it's, or no, I, I don't, I want to make one soon, which is exciting. I'm yeah. trying to figure out the right form and method, okay. but, um, mostly the right form because there's now there's this whole dihydroberberine, which is said to be superior with for blood sugar regulation, but I'm on the fence about it. Um, but it, it's the only, I don't, I don't want to say only, it probably is only it rivals metformin and clinical trials for blood sugar control and diabetes. So it has a, uh, really immaculate effect on, or it can on blood sugar levels. So, and it's, I, it's, um, advertised if, if people are advertising, it's, people take it for blood sugar, but if you actually look at the research there, it has so many other effects on like re reducing cholesterol and treating um, bacteria. Treating mm -hmm. bacteria. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anti, yeah. Antimicrobial. It has just a wide spectrum of benefits and it's a natural herb. So you're kind of sidestepping the potential issues of, you know, pharmaceuticals and their potential side effects. Okay. So you take it with food when you eat. I take it. Um, people do take it before meals. I actually just take it in the morning. Okay. Yeah. So that's another biohack. See, oh, that's All interesting. Right. So yeah, I'm going to think about that. Um, <laughs> cause I was saying supplements earlier, but it's funny. Cause when I think about like herbal supplements, like berberine, that's been around for, I mean, I don't even know how long, like, do I consider that biohacking? I don't know. Well, it is a supplement. You mentioned supplements, um, yeah. potential supplements. And I would say the majority of people aren't taking it. Um, but I have heard a lot of good things with berberine. So that could be some, even like, for example, like apple cider vinegar. Have you ever done anything with that? I have in the past, like, like a shot before eating and stuff like that. Um, oh, did you eat it? Did you drink it straight up? Because I think the first time I got apple cider vinegar, I, uh, I didn't know you had to cut it with water. So I just had it straight up and I was like, Whoa, <laughs> this is like, it was intense. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, reminds me, reminds me the first that. time I, reminds me the first time I did a shot in college and I like, I was so naive. I like, didn't know alcohol. I like, didn't even know what alcohol tasted like. And I just remember it did not go well. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to go down that rabbit hole, I mean, I remember my first, I had once I've had one cigarette in my whole life and I would think I was a freshman in high school. And it was a marble red and I got sick, threw up, 
like dizzy. And I was like, okay, that's not for me. So if you ever want to like not do, or maybe not have your kids do something, just get them sick the first time they do it. And they probably won't do it again, at least for a long time. I mean, I don't, I've never had a cigarette since, but anyways. Two, two related thoughts to that. Um, one, I, <laughs> I got in college, I, um, I, I tried an apple fast. So you're supposed to like just eat apples for three days. And then I ended up doing it for 11 days because I felt so amazing. And then I went to a party. So I like, I wasn't drinking or anything during that. Then I went to a party and I drank what I normally would have drank, but this is after, this is after only eating apples for 11 days. And that was, I haven't had hard alcohol since then. That was was like the worst experience. Um, What about an apple? (laughs) Yes, I have had apples. I have had apples. Um, but the second thing was, have you ever experimented with nicotine patches? You know what? I see that, um, uh, this, like some people do like a nicotine gum as a way as like, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Always talk. Ben Greenfield always talks about this. Lucy, I think is the brand he promotes. Is that sort of the same idea? Yeah, it's the same idea. Um, I haven't done the gum, but historically I've played around with the patches because they have, um, actually a lot of potential health benefits. Mm-hmm. So right. Nicotine um, on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, cognitively, well, you get a really nice dopamine hit, which is not surprising given nicotine's people being addicted to it. Right. Um, but, uh, preventative for Parkinson's actually, which is super cool. Whoa. Um, but what made me think of it was the getting sick. If you, um, if you put on too big of a patch, Oh my God. Yeah. You will just, <laughs> yeah, I have, I have done that and it's not good. It's like throwing up in the bathroom. Not good. So, yeah. um, but I actually am really interested in nicotine. I haven't done them in a while, but, um, I think there's a lot of potential. I know that's really controversial, but benefits there for the, at least for the patches, not for smoking, not advocating smoking. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, what other like I guess from all your interviews and things, what, what's some of the takeaways that you could say that maybe people that are looking for, let's just say longevity. Like I know we're talking about, you know, biohacking. Are there anything that sticks out maybe perhaps to help with longevity? Yeah. So goodness, I've had so many people on the show. Um, I've had on, so there's the whole, well, fasting. I think fasting is a win. (laughs) Um, there's the whole debate and I'm haunted by this about low protein diets or not. So I've had on Dr. Walter Longo, um, from USC, and he's a big proponent of like the fasting mimicking diet and low protein diets for longevity. Um, I'm just such a, I, I like to, I, I feel like I can get the best of both worlds by fasting during the day and lowering IGF one, lowering mTOR, and then right. having my big mTOR spiking, IGF one spiking high protein meal. And then I get all the benefits of protein, like metabolism, muscle support, um, warding off muscle breakdown as I age. And then I still get the fast period during the day. And it's funny. So I asked Dr. Longo, cause I've had him on the show twice. And I asked him like, did he think that that was a viable approach? And he basically said that it made sense in theory, but we don't have any like long-term research on it. So like kind of why risk it type thing I'm paraphrasing, but that was the vibe. Um, Hmm. but I just, I'm starving on low protein. Like I can't do low protein. Um, I hear you. I think, I think you're, I mean, personally, I like that approach. I think if you go periods of in like a catabolic state, right. And then, and then you're in periods of a growth state, like anabolic, I think that is, it seems viable and it seems like a healthy balance as opposed to just going one way or the other. I mean, if you're eating high protein all the time, then there's probably an issue with that. But if you're, if you're, like you said, you're going through a lot of your day fasted as am I, and then you have your, you know, a nice high protein meal. Cause like you mentioned it, the satiety effect, um, and, uh, and just for like muscle growth and, you know, bone health and things, you know, things that we need as we get older. Yeah. And just like, especially if you're eating animal protein, I just feel like there's so much nutrition that you're getting there. And then there's like the protein leverage hypothesis, which is basically that we will eat to meet our protein needs. So we will be hungry until we satisfy our protein needs. Um, so yeah, Yeah. protein, but protein, 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, I, I don't count, like you mentioned, I don't count calories. I just eat till I'm satisfied. I think if you're going periods of time of fasting, it's a great way to sort of get in tune with your hunger, what true hunger is, or when you're really full, um, as opposed to if you're eating a lot throughout the day or eating a lot of refined carbs, you just have no intuitive sense of when you're full. Um, so what would you recommend someone that is looking to perhaps, you know, get into fasting? What would you recommend them do? Or, um, as far as just like turning around their diet? Yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think it really depends on what your personality type is. Um, and by that, I mean, some people are moderationists. Some people are good at making, they want to make small changes. They want to like make baby steps and slowly progress towards a, a goal or a change. Some people are on the flip side, extremists. They want to go all in all or none. So I think knowing what you are is like the first step, um, and working within that. So like for me, I'm an extremist for sure. And I don't do good with, do well with moderation. So I, I, every dietary approach I tried, I just jumped in and like <laughs> went cold Turkey. Right. Um, I did that with low carb. I did that with fasting. I did that with paleo and that worked really well for me. But if you're the type of person that wants to slowly make changes, um, I completely support that. And so like with fasting, for example, true, you could, um, you could pick a window or I, I normally like to look at it one of two ways. Like you're either, you pick a time on the clock. So you're like eating within a certain time or fasting within a certain time, depending on how you want to look at it. Again, it's a, a mindset thing. Um, or you can like go by the meal approach. So like, I'm just going to eat lunch or I'm just going to eat lunch and dinner. Or I'm just going to eat dinner. Um, so I like, I, I think it's really helpful to like pick an approach that you like, and then like, then you just, you just do it and, and kind of knowing yourself about knowing how extreme you want to be mm. in the beginning or not. Um, like when I first started, the way I did it was I did one meal a day and I wanted to make sure I fasted a minimum amount of hours. So I wasn't counting. I, I personally, my co-host and I on the intermittent fasting podcast talk about this a lot because some people focus on the fasting hours. So like they want to count the fasting hours, but they don't want to put limits or count the eating hours. And that's the way I am. Some people just want to like limit and count the eating hours and then not really count the fast. So I find that really interesting too. I don't ever want to have like a in time. Like once I start eating at night, I don't, I don't want to like count hours. I don't want to be like, Oh, I have to stop eating at this certain time. I just, that's interesting. Like the freedom. Yeah. You know, I, and, and you're disciplined to do that. I mean, I, I like having a cutoff time. I, and I, mm. yeah, I just, I'd think, be so stressed. I'd be like, Oh, I have to like finish by this time. You know, it's like when you, when you do it consistently day in, day out, you just, it's like, we're creatures of habit. You just get used to it. Like for me, I don't like stress over it. Like if I, if I'm eating a little bit later, I'm not like, Oh my God. But I do think that having a hard cutoff for most people is that can be beneficial um, because a lot of bad things <laughs> and a lot of bad snacking can happen after a certain time. And I just think like, for me, it's usually six 30 at the latest, probably 7 PM. Um, and then I'm done because I just feel like if I didn't have that cutoff, I would just find ways to, to go back and into the kitchen and eat something. Um, but when I have that cutoff, like, I just know, like, and I don't, not like rushing to finish, but you know, it's in the back of your mind. Um, and then just on that note, I was invited to play poker this past Friday and, you know, now people are getting together and doing things, which is nice. And, um, I'm, uh, you know, I ate before I went, I don't know how you deal with temptations or, you know, but like, I liked, I, you know, we didn't start playing till seven o'clock. So I ate, I was done, went to the poker game and they're just starting eating. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah. so, and they're just like ordered, I think they ordered pizza and like these meatball subs. And, you know, I was, I mean, you know, maybe because I've been doing it for a while and I'm not, you know, the temptation, I had no temptations at all to do that. I already ate, I was done. I had like a sparkling water in front of me and, and that was my, that was my night. So, um, I don't know. I think if you plan like that and when you get tempted by like a poker night or a night out, uh, I'm not saying that you can't splurge every once in a while, but I think that the, the less you sort of give into that, um, it just becomes easier and easier. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I guess, so I guess my cutoff is that I go to bed. So then it's like, <laughs> I have to be cut off. Um, yeah. So but, you like to eat right up to bed, which it's not, you know, that works for you. I don't like, you know, that works for you. Um, and you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not like advocating it. Yeah, I, no. I wish I, I, cause they all say, they say like, you're supposed to stop eating, you know, a certain amount of time before bed, but, um, I, I can't go to bed on an empty stomach. Um, I sleep so much better if I've just eaten. So when I go out to things, um, like you were talking about, yeah, we're, we're similar in that we aren't tempted. It's just, I eat after I usually still eat after unless it's okay. like a dinner that I'm going to. Um, yeah, so. I mean, and you, you, you deal fine with eating later and it works for you. So why, you know, why change it? And it helps you, if it helps you with sleep, probably to get a little bit of backload those carbs a little bit. Right. Um, and it's not like, and you're eating over a longer, so you're not like stuffing your face, you know, you're eating over like, what'd you say? Like a six hour window. Yeah. It's probably like five or six, hours. five or six hours. So, you know, which I think it's important too. I think, you know, if you have an hour window and you're just like stuffing it in within an hour, that's, that's not healthy either. You want to chew your food and take your time. Yeah. So I have a very long drawn out <laughs> why I have my whole wind down routine. Cause I am like a self-identified insomniac, but I have all of my like biohacks and things that I do in routines. And I, mm. I'm proud to say that I, my aura ring says I sleep, sleep pretty well now. So as long as I do all the things. <laughs> and, and do you drink, uh, wine almost every night? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not a lot. And I actually, recent, well, sort of recently 2020, I think I didn't, I went a whole year and didn't drink or have caffeine. I wanted mm -hmm. to see what it was like to like have nothing. And, um, it's funny. Yeah, it was 2020 because my new year's resolution for 2021, most people's it's to start drinking or stop drinking. <laughs> for me, it was to start drinking because I'd gone a year and I was like, I didn't have a drinking problem before or anything like that, but I, I went a year and I was like, Oh, like, what if I like, like, I don't want to like bring back like a, a toxin or something. Like I was like scared to like drink again, but I realized I, um, I'm much happier with my wine every night. So I'm not, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> no. And I know you're drinking like, um, dry farm yeah, dry farm <laughs> arms talk. Yeah, yeah. Organic, you know, low sugar, low alcohol. It, it makes a big difference Yeah. now when I go out if on the rare occasion that I, so when I go out, cause I get, I get this question a lot about what wine to drink, especially if you're not drinking dry farm wines, um, which is a company that goes all throughout Europe and they find wineries that are organic and they test the wines to make sure they're free of additives and alcohol and mold and pesticides and all the things. Um, so when I met restaurants, um, Google, like if you're looking at the wine list, Google, right. Type in the, the producer and then the wine and then the word organic. And usually the, the first search, like the first few hits will tell you if it's organic or not, because people don't realize there's so many wines that are practicing organic practices, but they're not like labeled organic. Oh. So when I'm at a restaurant, I, I always feel bad if I'm like on a date or something with somebody new, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I have to like go through every wine and <laughs> find the one that's organic. Yeah. Um, cause there usually are some. Interesting. So. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely, but, that definitely makes a difference. I'm sure you, can you yeah. tell a difference if you have just like a normal? Oh yeah. Wine? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Big difference, like yeah. sleep reaction, everything. So mm -hmm. good to know. I'm not a wine drinker. My wife is. So I always, we, we do get some dry farm wines from time to time. And I just give her a hard time when she's drinking the other ones. Cause yeah. <laughs> uh, and especially if you drink it, cause they're, they're drier and they're lighter. If you go and drink like conventional wine. So like the majority of wine in the U S um, is all owned by like one of, there's only like a few head companies that own the majority of the wineries, which is crazy. Or like, it's all under like the big, the big brands, but they can actually add in like colorizer colors. Like it's so it's really frustrating. Cause if you look at the back of a wine label, there's not an ingredient list. So you assume it's just grapes, but it's right. not, it's all these other things. Um, they, they should, they should make that. 
uh, like a thing. There should be yeah. ingredient lists yeah. on wines, right? <laughs> you would see. So like in conventional things, you would see things. If you ever drink a wine and it makes your teeth like actually purple, which um, happens sometimes with cheap wines, it's because it has something in it called mega purple, which is a dye mm. to <laughs> like, that's concerning. Um, and there, yeah, a lot of other additives as well. So it should be, we should, we should uh, let like, what's the word lobby for better regulation. What, um, just a few more questions and we'll, we, I feel like we're just talking, we can go on forever, but what would you be? This is a, this is a question I ask all my guests. So I'm going to ask you, Ooh, I yes, love are these you ready questions. These? I'm mean, ready. I love these. If you were going to give one tip oh. to an individual who's looking to get their body back to what it once was like 10, 15 years ago, what one tip would you give that individual? Um, oh, I have so many, tips. right. It's tough to pick one. Okay. So. Um, I think I would say, okay, this is one tip, but it's, it's going to require like an explanation. So it's not like one sentence, okay. basically it's that, um, there is a lot of magic. I think that can happen if you, this is like a longer tip. <laughs> so, so people will think they're doing low carb or they'll think they're doing low fat, but they're often not. So I think there's a lot of benefits that can happen body composition wise. If you eat moderate to high protein and you actually do low carb or you actually do low fat. And so by like low fat, I mean like 10% or less, like not adding fats or for low carb, you know, 10% or less, not, um, going a little bit over that. And if you, this is a longer tip, I'm making this a longer tip. And if you combine that with, um, some sort of fasting window and whole foods only, I think most people can not have to count calories, eat as much as they want, as long as they exist within that paradigm. Um, and it's cool. Cause you can, you can try both just not at the same time. So like you can try the low fat, you can try the low carb, but I'm all about like, I love just like eating as much as I want. And I find that if I exist within one, one of, of those. those, I actually want to write a book about this. Cause there's so many books about low carb or keto, or there's books about low fat and vegan. Like I want to write a book about why they actually both work. Right. If you actually do them correctly. Right. And, and the, to do them correctly is to do them separately and to prioritize protein mm -hmm. and make sure they're actually low. Like, so actually right. 10% or less, because what's really anno annoying, um, is there's so many studies on like low fat or like low carb, but it'll be like 30% fat or 30% carbs. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I actually don't think that applies. Like, like, I don't think you can do a study on some of these macronutrient setups and draw conclusions about low carb or low fat. Cause I don't consider them low carb or low fat, but they'll say that they are. So, because once you have like a certain amount, like, I think you need to be at that really low state to get the metabolic effects, yeah. which I could go into more, but yeah, that's, so that's like a long, no, I, I, I know I do. I like that tip. I think it, I think you can try both, right where you're moderate to high protein and low carb or moderate to high protein and low fat and sort of see what works best for you. You know, how your, how's your satiety, you know, your body composition, your, you know, your mood, things like that. And, and, you, and pick one or the other and see how it works. And yeah, I, I mean, I like that as a tip. Does that sound about right? Can I give a second hack? Can I give us, can, can I give a, a hack for people who are doing low carb and they bonus? Bonus. Okay. Bonus, bonus hack. hack. This yeah. is for the people who do low carb, higher fat or moderate or high fat. And they still want to do that, but they like want to make it work better. If you do low carb, high fat, um, and you make all of the fats that you're adding C8 MCT, I, you might see radical changes. So like no other, not other fats. So like not, not, um, so like basically eating lean. So like lean meats and a keto diet, but add as much MCT C8 as you want. Okay. 
it's um, crazy. And I discovered this because I was actually, it's when I was trying to gain weight. And so I was really researching C8 MCT oil. Um, is, that, is that the bulletproof one he makes a seat? Is, is yeah. It? So, um, so MCT, um, there's different types. Um, right. there's C8, C10 are the two main ones. And most MCT oils are C8, C10 blend. So, um, C8 is oh goodness. I should know this one is caprylic and one is capric. I think, okay. uh, caprylic is C8. I think, and, and C10 should be Capric. I think, do not quote me on that. I'll be embarrassed. But you're saying the MCT with the C8. With the C8. So that's the, um, that fat, basically, I've done so much research on this. It, it doesn't really become fat. Like it, 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 it goes straight to the liver and it's processed for energy and it has a massive thermogenic, thermogenic effect on your body. So basically, even if you overdose on it, you just get really hot. And, um, C8 is, is, I'm sorry. C8 is caprylic acid. Okay. That's right. Okay. (laughs) I was, Um, I was fact checking you right there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so is there a certain MCT C8 use or just, I, yeah. So I think it's really important to get in a glass bottle. So there's one brand on Amazon. Is it, um, kiss, is it, wait, is it kiss, kiss my, there's two brands that come in a glass bottle. One is kiss my keto and one is, um, another brand. I typed that in just to see if I could find it. Um, yeah. In a glass bottle. And then I think clean, clean MCT might be the other one. Um, Oh, natural force. There's a natural force, natural force, organic, pure C8 MCT oil, liquid MCT oil in a glass. So I like the organic one though. I can actually, this one is organic. Oh, it is. Yeah. Natural natural force. Oh, that I have not used that brand. Really? So what do you put that you, can you do anything with that? I mean, I've tried it in coffee. You put it in coffee and. Well, I I'm so with your food, not in coffee. So, well, you could, but, um, I'm actually not a huge fan of the, the bulletproof fasting approach. Um, so, so basically say, say you're eating a keto diet and you're doing low carb and so you're eating fatty meat and all this stuff switch to lean meats and add, add, use this as your fat. So and it has a really big, um, umami boosting effect. So like if you add it to your food, it kind of enhances the flavor of whatever you're eating. Okay. Um, you can't, but you can't really taste it though. Right. It's just a neutral. Taste. I think it tastes so good. Really? <laughs> you can't taste it by itself, but when you put it in the food, it makes it taste. Are you just drizzling yummy. it on? Is that what you're doing? You just drizzle mm-hmm. it onto your food, whatever mm-hmm. it is, steak, vegetables. Mm-hmm. But when I was eating it, so when I was doing this experiment and I know it's not just me because I was doing this and talking about it. And then this other, this girl on um, Instagram sort of started not a whole movement, but she started doing this and talking about it, about Mm -hmm. how, how it was a thing. And then other people were trying it. Um, I was literally eating, I was adding to my diet, probably like 1500 calories of this because I was adding a lot. Um, and I, like adding that to what I've been eating. And I lost more weight doing that because you just get, you just increase satiety too, right? Mm -hmm. Increase satiety. Yeah. And, um, really just really revs up your metabolism. So, Mm. um, yeah, I think that's, that can be a huge thing. And you're drizzling it on after you cook it, the food or, um, yes. Yeah. I was actually like adding Yeah. To my cooked food, to your cooked food. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. Kind of like a dipping sauce. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Um, well, Melanie, this was great. Um, if people want to learn more about you, where should they go? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for having me and thank You're you welcome. for entertaining my crazy rabbit hole <laughs> tangents. Like I'll just talk about all the things forever. Um, so they, my main website is melanieavalon.com. I'm on Instagram at Melanie Avalon. The two shows are the intermittent fasting podcast and the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. Um, I have a, an iTunes app. If you have food sensitivities called food sense guide, and I have a new supplement line that I'm so excited about. And that is avalonx.us. And the first supplement I made actually to answer your longevity question, I think this one is huge. It's serapeptase. It's my favorite supplement ever. <laughs> so Yeah. That's what? all the things. Okay. Serapeptase. Maybe why don't you give us a quick intro to that? What is that? Yeah. It's a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. 
when you taste, although we make it in a lab now, so it's vegan, when you take it in a fasted state, it goes into your bloodstream. It breaks down non-living and potentially problematic proteins in your body. So it really helps anything where your body is reacting to proteins. So I started taking it because for seasonal allergies, it will clear your sinuses, like just clear, um, brain fog. And I stayed on it for all the other health benefits. So reduced inflammation. There are a lot of studies on it that it can reduce cholesterol, enhance wound healing, help with pain, even break down amyloid plaque, both in vitro and in vivo, which is crazy. So it's just, it's like kind of a, kind of like how fasting can help your body just on so many levels, do so many things like with cellular cleanup and just functioning better. It kind of does that. It's, it's amazing. I love it. Wow. Yeah. So you started using it and you're like, I got to come out with this myself. Yeah. I started taking it like five or six years ago. And I always knew if I were ever to start a supplement line, which I wanted to do because I mean, we were talking earlier about sketchiness with wine, that supplement industry is so sketchy. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to make my own brand at some point so I could make my, cause I want to feel good about what I'm putting in my body. So the, the best way to do that would be me make it myself. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, it's so hard to find supplements without fillers, um, or with transparency on ingredients and sourcing and lab testing. And so I'm so, I I'm so grateful that my partner has been so amazing because my supplement business partner, because I've been so neurotic with like, like the sourcing everything. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it, yeah. I'm just looking right now. Is it available yet or not yet? It's mm-hmm. pre- pre-order. Oh, no, it's available. So is it saying pre-order Avalon X.us? Oh, okay. I, okay. I was looking on mentally. Avalon.com. It says it's, Oh, I should change that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. It says um, pre-order, but no, I no, see it now. Avalon X.us. Okay. There it is. Yeah. And we're actually launching our next supplement very soon. Mm. I'm so excited. We're making a magnesium, a full oh. spectrum. Yeah. I remember you saying that listening to you. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Lots of great stuff, Melanie. Well, this was very enjoyable and uh, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. I'm super grateful. I super appreciate it. It is an honor and congrats on all that you're doing with the show. It's helping so many people. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.